Welcome to this episode of the Valid Ambiguity Podcast. I'm Paul Patterson, the host of Valid Ambiguity. Valid Ambiguity is a blog that I started not too long ago, and I've been wanting to kind of branch into this idea of podcasting simply because I think there are some things that are not easily communicable through written language that the the art of discussion and confabulation are able to capture uh, some of the process and some of the messiness of ideas that writing often misses. Honestly, I love writing. I love the I love reading, but the I, I think I enjoy discussion even more because in discussion you find uh, other people's ideas. You you get immediate feedback for every statement that you make and every question that you posit, and you also feel the emotion uh, that's within the discussion as well. So it turns from this very ethereal idea to more of a. Um, almost tangible thing, something that you can actually kind of mess and manipulate with, that you can feel rather than just uh, listen to. And so we, uh, my friend and I, Cody, we've been kind of discussing this idea of possibly making a podcast because him and I have very different ideas and opinions on things. Um, he's an atheist and obviously I am not, but him and I have great discussions. We don't debate. We don't argue. We just kind of kick back and forth different ideas and where we are, where we are on positions. And, uh, one day we happen to be having a discussion and I happen to have a recording device with me. It's just a, uh, one of those little zoom microphones. And so we just kind of hit record and we went at it uh, to see how it would go. So this is that first episode and I'm looking forward to it. One thing I enjoy about this is that neither Cody and I claim to be experts. We're, uh, he's kind of an armchair philosopher and I'm kind of an armchair theologian. And uh, the reason I enjoy that is because as we have this discussion, we're not presenting necessarily polished and finished ideas. Instead, we're kind of going through the, the messy process and the discussion itself leading up to more of a formalized idea and worldview. This is not a conversation with experts, although I'd be fine with that. And if you're an expert in your field and you want to engage in a little confabulation, we would love it. I would love it. So uh, reach out to me, let me know, and maybe we can set something up. Uh, But what I find is often lacking in those types of interviews and podcasts is the messiness, the, uh, the formulation of the idea rather than just the presenting of the finished product. So that's one thing we kind of want to do. Like I said, we don't want to argue, we don't want to debate, we don't want to name call or throw dirt. We're just kind of, we want to go on a ride with each other and just kind of see where it ends up. So uh, with no further ado, we'll go ahead and present this podcast to you in episode number one. Of course I can't say that. Yeah, I was about to say, can you say hell? No, that might be... Why the heck not? Oh, it's strong word. There we go. We got to get those useless euphemisms such yeah. as gosh. Yeah. It's no sense at all. Because those are so much better than the actual words. Right? Isn't Shouldn't we all be, like, scared to say Yahweh? Isn't that the one that we should be terrified of? Well, we actually don't know how Yahweh's pronounced. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right, because they did the dot thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is funny. uh, Nowadays, I look at... I have some friends, Mm -hmm. and I'm... uh, Once again, not a criticism, but I find it intellectually stimulating. Uh, But you have friends? <laughs> I have one less now. Oh, <laughs> the uh, no, like they write God, but they do G dash D. Or I saw one person; he does G exclamation point D. And for me, the reason I find that intriguing is the 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 noun God could be applied to any deity. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a noun. But in our culture, when we say God, we automatically assign that to the Judeo-Christian God, mm-hmm. which I'm not complaining about. Yeah, it works out for you. Um, but it's it's not a name of God. It's actually just a noun. My favorite one is, okay, so gosh and this one are tied. Is capitalizing he and him. <laughs> so I have a friend. He actually works right there. Um, right there, you say? Not, not presently, progressively, but mm-hmm. typically. Uh, he likes to he likes to joke how Christians love to capitalize everything. <laughs> it's true. Um, and so like when I when I do write my blogs, I do find this tension like do I capitalize biblical? Why would you capitalize biblical? Because typically you capitalize Bible. <laughs> like which once again, the word Bible literally means just book. Yeah. Um, oh, you Christians. Right? Your English practices are appalling. Uh, <laughs> 
And if that's your only complaint against us, then I'm, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be a Christian because of their English. <laughs> Darn it. Um, <laughs> and there used to be a time Christians uh, were known for their good literature. It's true. They give Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and... Yeah. Look how far you've fallen. Yeah. Although, they were probably subject to the same problems. Man, I don't know. I, I think Tolkien and C.S. Lewis just kind of happened into becoming the public figureheads of Christianity at the time. Like, Lewis, you know, definitely. Uh, they, they weren't pursuing it. Like, by no means was C.S. Lewis an actual apologist. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm doing quote marks. Yeah. Uh, he just kind of happened into it. Yeah. And as such, he had weight, and mm. so therefore his voice carried. Um, and this, once again, not. A, and I, I love C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis's work. Um, but I don't think, I don't think he viewed himself as an apologist. He just people wanted to hear his opinions on things, so he let them hear. He let people hear his opinions. What's his What's his book? He has a He has a like guide to Christianity. Mere Christianity. Yeah. yeah, I remember what is it at the end of like the third chapter or something. He says something to the effect of, "And now that we're on board with God existing, let's move on." And I just sat there and I was like, "No, you You've shown nothing." <laughs> I, okay. No, he does present, uh, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about, because I, I felt the same way, well, not the same way, but mm-hmm. similar, like, like, that was your argument? Um, mm-hmm. I just I just put the book down at that point, I was done. Well, okay, once again, for, uh, for C.S. Lewis, actually, and I believe uh, Mere Christianity was actually a collection of radio interviews uh, okay. that he was doing. And was then, it? Okay. And then he, and then it was created into a book. Um, so once again, that goes back to, like people wanted to know his opinion so this was his opinion this was his argument uh-huh. but and i don't think he would ever pretend to that it would be the end all of all arguments yeah um, for the most part if i recall right he heavily relied on the moral argument um that mm-hmm. a moral law has to have a moral law giver and, and that was basically the crux of his entire theistic mm-hmm. argument um which, sounds right. Yeah, it was because something like we have rules, right? And there must be someone to design those rules. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if you, and by rejecting that argument, here are some of the complications that you would fall into. And mm-hmm. that was pretty much it. And for me, you know, I, I love things like physics and biology. So I, I tend to lean toward uh, the cosmological argument and the theological argument more so. So when he, when he relied heavily on the moral argument, um, I felt like he was missing a lot of other arguments that could carry more weight. Um, in fact, the yeah the theological argument was ultimately what converted Anthony Flew to becoming a deist. <laughs> um, I think I think that was because of William Lane Craig. It may, it may have been a different Christian. When you politics. say the, the teleological argument here, we're talking about like the blind watchmaker idea, right? Uh, the blind watchmaker is uh, is not the theological argument. It 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 borrows from it. Yeah. That there is a god who made like when you look at a watch, you don't assume it accidentally created itself. Mm-hmm. Basically, the the argument can be summarized: uh, design every design implies a designer. Yes. So the so the question then is: Do you find design in the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what really what the argument is. The blind watchmaker idea is. Uh, I, I believe I believe um, Adams, um, one of the founding fathers of America, um, believed in the blind watchmaker idea that God created the world, uh, set its order, set it set the way it should function. Mm-hmm. But as far as him personally being involved with the everyday activity, no, that's right. He's hands off. He's like a watchmaker who makes a watch and just lets lets the watch run. Mm. Um, that sounds right. I think I think Hume came up with this. Hume. Yeah, Hume and Kant talked about the. Uh, I always get I always get the analogies wrong, but the the gulf and the wall. Um, I don't know this one. Well, one talks about a wall that we can't penetrate to the uh, to the other side, so we we cannot know the nature of God, the nature of metaphysics, mm-hmm. um, and then one one uses the analogy of a gulf instead. Um, gotcha. Which, pretty much the same thing, but yeah, uh, Kant and Hume both build on that idea. Yeah. Well, if you happen to be listening to this, I'm Paul Patterson, and I'm the uh, high school student coach, which is just an, a word substitution we use for pastor here at Real Life on the Palouse, a church in Moscow, Idaho. 
And this is Cody J. Britson, who is... Uh, introduce yourself, Cody. Uh, I'm a college student that studies philosophy, French, and history. That's what I do. And, uh, right now, what's your job? Because I find that intriguing. Uh, I'm a, a research assistant um, in the bioinformatics and evolutionary program at the University of Idaho, and I study signaling theory um, as was, I don't know, supposedly created by David Lewis in his book, uh, oh god, it was published in 1969, Conventions. You can't say god. I can't say god. I'm an atheist. It's one of the perks. <laughs> it's like, like <laughs> if you believe in God, you cannot say his name. Oh, and we just had the discussion that God isn't a name. Exactly. It's now. <laughs> but for, for us atheists, we don't have to be so touchy with those words. It's great. Uh, so Cody and I have been friends for a while. In fact, our relationship started as uh, I was your pastor. Yeah. And you were my uh, pat, patty Adam one. Yeah. Um, have you seen the new movie, by the way? Yes. So good. Yes. Which I would love to discuss. We should. Maybe we will. Anyway, uh, and uh, at a church in Boise, and he was a middle school student in my ministry, and uh, I got canned from that church, and after I got canned, shortly after that, you left. Yep. And then for years, like, minor interactions, maybe through Facebook. Pretty much entirely through Facebook. Yeah. Um, but really like, not doing a good job about keeping up with each other. Mm-mm. And then one day I happened to get a job in Moscow, Idaho, and it turns out that you were here. And so we uh, met, we kind of caught up, and I learned that you're an dun-dun-dun, an atheist. Um, yep. at, at which I tore my clothes and mourned in ash and, uh, yeah, still I'm doing right now. You weren't like raking your back, then you were just doing it wrong. Not yet, not okay. yet. Uh, that just comes saying, later. The flagellates did it right. Yeah, yeah, it comes later. Okay. Um, but because of his uh, back, because of your background in philosophy and my uh, intrigue in philosophy, like we we had sort of having some awesome discussions. In fact, one night we had uh, it was me, you. Uh, what was your friend's name? Jordan. Jordan, Jordan. Scott. And what does he do? Uh, he's also a philosopher, but more importantly, he's a ridiculously good Mormon Bible studier and, and church member. And you want for your birthday? Oh yeah, yeah. You, you two want to sit around and argue, and it yeah. was so much fun. Yeah, that was that was your birthday wish. That's uh, you, me, and Jordan. And I'm going to sit you two across from each other, and you two argue. Uh-huh. And I will watch. Yep. <laughs> Which both Jordan and I were like, okay, awkward, but fine. And but it was a good discussion. job. It was yeah. great. It was fantastic. So uh, every once in a while, you and I find, like, we have these conversations, and we're like, I don't know, we just go back and forth, and it's fun, and it's intriguing, and uh, I'm still praying for the day that you repent with weeping and on your knees and come to Jesus. It'll happen. But until then, we... Uh, we do this. So uh, we had this idea that we should, you know, record some of these because some someone out there might be sick enough to actually download them and find them intriguing. Um, I joke that I'm an armchair theologian, and and I think you would call yourself an armchair philosopher. Well, I don't have an armchair, so I can't be. Oh, you have arms on your chair that you're sitting in. Whoa, this chair does have... All right, currently I'm an armchair philosopher. There we go. You don't like definitions, though. Mm, depends on the day. <laughs> And we had to drink the night before. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we don't pretend to be experts by any means. Uh, this is if you are an academic theologian or an academic philosopher, I would encourage you right now to turn off the podcast. And unless you want to argue with us and disagree with everything that we say, then feel free. But only if it's good criticism. If it's bad criticism, then that's just it's no fun. But we'll take we'll we'll take back criticism because, like we were saying uh, before this recording, that disagreement is the best form of marketing. Well, I want like something more substantial than like that was bad. That's what oh, I mean by bad criticism. Yeah. Like, like you, you pagan atheist, you're going to hell. Right? Yeah, exactly. I don't rate. Yeah. I'm, I'm converting now. Exactly. Or, uh, or, I can, or for for you atheists out there, you know, you who might call me like a dumb Christian blah, brainwashed person. Yeah. Stop um, brainwashing me, Paul. Just try, just try to prove me, prove that that's the case at least. That way, I can have something to. Chew on. Right? Yeah. Chew. Yeah. I want good criticism as opposed to bad criticism. That's what that is right okay. there. Anyway, uh... Now we just talk, right? Yeah, yeah, I think we... Uh, we were... One discussion we were having at one point was... Uh, 
you sent me a message on uh, on text saying Merry Christmas, and because I know that you are not a deist, mm -hmm. I texted you back uh, Happy Incarnation Day or something. God be deity, deistic incarnation day, something like that. I don't know, I don't have my phone on me. Anyway, so we were talking about what, uh, and so I sent that to you, and then I replied, you said we should get together and have deep, meaningful conversations soon, and then I replied, what would be an interesting topic is the uh, philosophical implications and complications of a deity becoming incarnate, and then you replied, and the political and economic implications as well. And social. And social, maybe Just that's sort of was. wrapped up in politics. Mm. Politics wouldn't really be needed if there was no social order. Although it doesn't, politics also apply to. Oh, no, no. Yeah, right. You sort of need a society in order for there to be any kind of politics. Like, like in the church world, we talk about church politics, mm -hmm. but that's a societal order. Mm -hmm. And then you think think of family politics. That's still a societal order. Yeah, and then think about anarchists real quick. I can't understand their argument because it's it's an ordered, unorderedness. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Really, I think anarchists are just people who complain about everything, and their only answer is to have no answer. Well, some of them are... are They're non-committal. Oh, exactly. Non-committal. Yeah. Um, I know that there are some famous anarchists out there, and I've read little snippets of them, but it still just doesn't make sense to me at all. <laughs> so anyone that's listening to this, if you know a lot about anarchism and can give me some good books, hook a brother up. You want them to buy your book, the book, though? No, no, I want them to just recommend... Well, I mean, if they would. Yeah. That would be nice. Or, you're, or they could just recommend a title. You're a poor college student. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I've got, like, six books to my name. That's more than most. Oh, yeah, because of the research you've done. Yeah. Yeah, so you, uh, you've got credit for that. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Right? Good for you. Anyway, uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, I'm intrigued. Uh, obviously, you don't believe in a deity. Nope. So, we're going to start... You're going to... You're going to have to start with the entertaining the assumption that there is a deity. Yep. And this deity comes into the human world as a human. Yep. So for you, what's the first things you're wrestling with? Like, what are you... Well, no, the first assumption I think that needs to be important is that we need to know that it's a god. Or that, that the deity is, is, in fact, the deity. Because, like, like, we have the assumption that there is a deity and all that, and I can jump on board. But what would be a problem is that the way that modern science and things have, have come, and, like, the amount of disbelief that would happen across all of their religions, because they would be crushed. I mean, some could probably survive, but many religions would just be defunct after the incarnation. So... I, I don't think, unless there was somehow some irrevocable proof that it was in fact the incarnate form of the deity, then like nothing would happen. So, uh, in our primary discussion before this, when you said that all other religions would be defunct, mm -hmm. I said I find it intriguing that you state that, because I think in many, in the postmodern theologies, um, people assume you can believe in Jesus and still be a Buddhist, or that you can believe in Jesus and still be I don't know, fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, so why is it that you assume that if, in fact, a specific deity um, and the religion associated with this deity did, in fact, become incarnate, that that would automatically um, get rid of the other ones? Well, let's use the Richard Dawkins example here, the flying spaghetti monster. So if the flying spaghetti monster is, is incarnated, then uh, the unless... We move into a uh, polytheistic sort of framework. The other religions would no longer, uh, the Christian religion or uh, Abrahamic religions wouldn't work anymore. Okay. Because we now have irrevocable proof that the flying spaghetti monster has been incarnated. And and if if that deity happened to also attest to the to the validity of a poly polytheistic system, then all the monotheistic or the atheistic, which I would consider Buddhism as being an atheistic religion. Sometimes. Um, in general, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there's offshoots. Yeah. But then those would, uh, because uh, one of the bedrock claims they that their entire religion is built upon uh, would now be removed, and as such their foundation would start to crumble. Mm -hmm. Is kind of what you're saying. Yep. Okay. So, you're, so your first question is the nature of the deity. Um, as a whole. Uh, if by that 
what I, I don't understand the nature of the deity that seems to imply something like is he a good guy is he a bad guy does he like to go to the burger shack every Thursday no I, I mean yeah I guess in some sense like yeah is it a good god or is it a bad god uh, is he coming to the earth to create a a political empire or is he coming to the earth to restore humanity or oh uh, yes yes that would be another so that yeah that comes into point, question but I'm also saying like is it a, is he a monotheistic being Mm, yes. Uh, is he the only god, or is he part of a part of a uh, the God Club? The God, the God Club. Yes. Um, yeah. Is he part of a more of a polytheistic uh, mm-hmm. system, like like the Romans had their pantheon? Um, the the Hindus have I forget what they call it. A um, lot of gods. <laughs> yeah, they have a <laughs> buttload of gods. Um, anyway, they yeah so. So that, that's the first thing you want to you want you'd want to establish is that. So uh, because just from that one question, like we could go, we could chase down all those tangents, mm-hmm. and we would be here for four plus hours. Because like a good day to me. Well, you know, I got things to do today, man. That sucks. I'm sorry. You're not stuck here for four plus hours. <laughs> uh, but let's just take let's just because I'm going to be the, the lame Christian person, let's just walk down the path of the biblical incarnation narrative. Okay. Since the, you know, Christmas there's a, happened. There's a difference between... The Christi- is, is the Christian God and the Muslim God, like, technically the same person? Because they're both Abrahamic religions. They just have different interpretations of books, yeah? Yeah. So, like... If I said yes, uh, a lot of the Christians are going to hate me. If I said no... A lot of the Christians are going to hate me. Uh, wow! I just made you the most hated person ever. Right? I feel like Jesus when they when the uh, Sadducees try to trick him by asking mm-hmm. an unanswerable question. Here, I'll just I'll just move past. Well, okay, no, but like. well, like there there are for many people they assume that the God of of Islam and the God of Christianity are the same because because of some of the similar roots. Yes. Uh, but once again, this nature comes into into question. Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, I, I am Paul Patterson the third, and my dad's Paul Patterson Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remove the um, the suffix at the end, yeah, uh, just because we both have the same name doesn't mean we're both the same person. It's true. So uh, just because, so then you have to ask the question about you know once again character, nature, yeah. identity. Okay. And so there there are some legitimately there are some legitimate discussions to be had about the Isla- the Islamic deity and the Christian deity. Okay. Um, Okay, so we'll just focus on the Christian deity then. I wanted to make sure I wasn't wrapping in three gods, all the Abrahamic religion gods, because if that was incarnated... Oh, I thought you were going with the Trinity. I'm like... <laughs> no, no, not at all. I just I wanted to see just how many religions were satisfied with the Christian oh, god. Oh, man, we need to talk about that, too. That'd be fun. Yeah? Yeah, an armchair atheist philosopher wrestles with the Trinity. Oh, yeah, that'd take forever. I, I know very little about it, so there'd be so much setup. I know that it's obnoxiously complex. Right, but we're not going to chase that tangent right now. No. Even though, even though it's tantalizing me. It's right All right, so, so if Jesus is, in fact, God incarnate... And so he comes back, he's like, yo, what's up? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's just coming to visit the world. Mm-hmm. Quick visit. Like, what... Okay, aside from the sarcastic comments oh, we yeah. just made, uh, let's be serious now. Okay. Because, you know, it's for our audience. I've got my serious face on. Our audience of two people, me, me and you. Yeah. Uh, i go back and listen to this and be like, why did I say that? <laughs> or, or, oh gosh, why why would anyone listen to this? Anyway, uh, like, what would the... Well, I don't know, uh, for you, what, what do you think the social, political, economic implications would be? Uh... Or philosophical. Maybe start broad, philosophical. Philosophically, well, I mean, atheists would be out of a job. Or... (laughs) Well, you convert, then you'd be fine. You you have to. There's no no choice at that point. You now know. Like, at at that point, it's sort of just like digging, digging a hole in the ground and putting your head in it and then dying because you can't actually do that. But nevertheless, like, I... Yeah, you would have to convert right away. Um, everyone would to Christianity, because otherwise, I just I can't understand not doing so at that point. Unless you think hell is just a really nice tropical vacation. 
But even then, you'd know it wasn't. Well, like, we now have the knowledge that all of the atheists have been like, oh, no, I can't believe in God because there's not enough proof. Uh, there, there now is. Yeah, and now we all totally can. Mass conversion. Mass conversion. By the way, I, I'm, I'm a conditionalist when it comes to hell, which... Yeah. That's different. I, I don't believe hell is an internal conscious torment. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe you die, and that's it. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. So, sort of my, my current vision of how things go. So uh, Yeah, and I'm, I might do a podcast on that later. Uh, if Christian's out there intrigued, uh, look up. There's a podcast called Rethinking Hell, and it's uh, that podcast in and of itself converted me. Um, I think by the third or fourth or fifth episode, I was like, boom, done. I'm, I am now a conditionist. It's also called Annihilationist. Um, yeah. And what I... Okay. This isn't a review of the Rethinking Hell podcast. <laughs> um, all right. So at, at, at the crux of it all, you would at minimum have to believe in a deity. And specifically this deity, which means you are now a follower of this deity. Yep. Um, Christian deity. Yeah. So metaphys- uh, metaphysically, like... Which you said earlier to me, metaphysics so bores you. It does. Um, so, wade through the agony a little bit with me. Uh-huh. What, uh, what about your metaphysical views would change? Well, I could no longer be a metaphysical nihilist. I would, I would now have to posit, or a religiously metaphysical nihilist. So there are other types of metaphysics. Um, but anyways, for this case, I could no longer be a nihilist, and I would have to subscribe to, to the Christian church and inherit some of the basic assumptions. Because there are like. certain... Uh, uh, the, the sacrifice, the... Oh, man, what's the name of the cross? Crucifixion, there we go. Okay. I would have to accept the crucifixion. Uh, As what? Being true. Well, do you, do you believe that there was a man named Jesus? Oh, yeah. And that he... Like, right now... Yeah, I currently... I, isn't there some Roman death record that he's a part of? Like, I feel like there's been... A there's decent, pl- yeah, there's, yeah, plenty, there's plenty, of plenty of evidence. Plenty of extra-biblical evidence that there was a man named Jesus who lived yeah. and died on a cross. It would be... A so story. you believe in that uh-huh. now? Well, I believe in... Yeah, I, current Cody believes in that. In hypothetical world, Cody would also believe in that, as well as he would subscribe to the idea that Jesus actually did die for our sins, uh, as opposed to just dying. Which means you would then have to wrestle with the nature of sin. Yep. Um, start believing in sinning. <laughs> Which we'll get to one day. Uh, okay, so so that would change, obviously your view. Uh, what about the what about the nature of man? Uh, How would your anthrop- anthropological views change? The nature of man, uh, in regards to to what you because when you say the nature of man, I'm thinking about like how man is conditioned to behave based upon our. Some form of naturalism here. Okay, let's just start with the basic question: What is man? How would that change? Uh, the way you answer it now. So at this point, I would, I would, oh god, what's it? Uh, designed evolution, or the thing where we have evolution and God as well? Theistic evolution. Theistic evolution. There we go. I'd probably subscribe to that, um, because I, I feel like I've been given a sufficient amount of evidence to believe in evolution by natural selection. And so knowing that there's a God wouldn't derail that, there would just also be some sort of divine inspiration or guidance to it. Okay. Okay. So then man would... So in your opinion, man would no longer be a, a production of random processes, but actually an intentional creation through through evolution? Yeah, like God would have would have worked evolution. Well, I feel like it's a little. Uh, no, God said He made man, so it must follow that way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to go around it. You can't. You can't have Christian God and not God making man. True. Sure. Um. Uh, so what I'm curious now. We just. I mean, I think there's there's tons more. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get to things like politics and sociology and things. Uh, what about? What would be some of the complications that you'd wrestle with? There wouldn't be any. It would all be solved. Christian God is right. That is not what I. Everybody jumps on train, and we're good to go. I, I would, I would struggle most with people. Because once again, we're we're having the assumption that it's irrevocably true, and everybody knows this. That this is the Christian God incarnate. So people like I would struggle most with people that wouldn't just be like, "All right, we're going." Like this is. This is how it goes. Because there certainly would be people that, d- despite how much proof they've been given, are just going to say no. 
and those people would just be wrong. Which, so that would be my main struggle in this hypothetical world. And certainly there would be, I don't know enough of the, the Christian arguments and fringe points to have new studies and complications um, or to be able to understand like what, what problems I would have after converting. Feels like I would I would convert, and then I'd be like, okay, now we have to get more fine-grained beliefs. And so I would just go read a lot. Alright, so uh knowing you though, I, I know that you would knowing that the incarnation there's quote marks there, sorry. Knowing that the incarnation is true, you would still have questions about the incarnation, would you not? Either either of itself or of the implications from it. Like, wouldn't there be some... This, I guess this is what I mean by complications. Like, what issues would these raise up for you? Um, so let me try to make up one for you. And, okay. Uh, like, what about... Give me along here. Like, why now? How about that? Like, why not earlier? Uh, why not later? Uh, why is the master plan. I'd jump onto that. Why would, would I, why would I question that? I know it's true. So you... So we Christians would call that the sovereignty of God. Like, you would just trust in the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have more faith than some Christians. Um, <laughs> I, I just, in, this, in this hypothetical world right now. Right? The, uh, all right, uh, what's some other ones? Uh, okay, uh, let's do this. You kept saying, like, uh, you kept using the phrase, uh, assuming that this is irrevocably true. Yeah. How would you know that this, like, what evidence would you need to know that this man is, in fact, God incarnate? There would... Well, what I feel like would, would happen is I don't think... It could be irre- uh, irrevocably true in in current society. I feel like we would we would perpetuate something along the lines of like maybe in the future time travel was real and he came back and it's just blowing all of our minds right now. Like I feel like there'd be some pseudo scientific response to it that no matter how hard the deity like does to prove like it, it'd definitely be a him right himself. Him or herself, whatever. We'll be PC. Well, uh, just so you know, Genesis one says both male and female were created in His image, which would imply that God is both male and female. Oh, perfect. Um, in my opinion, as a quick tangent, I think the main reason why God, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, identifies Himself as a male mm-hmm. was because of the patriarchal system of the, of the time. That would make sense. Like the 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 oldest living male was the figure of their society. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not a criticism against or a, or an argument for. It's just the way it was. Yeah. So it made sense that in the language he would use that. Um, would I would I ever call God a female? I think the closest I would ever say is that male and female are created in his in his image. Like. Okay. And by the way, in in the Old Testament, there are metaphors that God uses that are female-driven. Um, a mother, her children, uh, childbirth. Um, it, you find things like that. And so, while God primarily in the Old Testament and the New chooses to convey himself as a male, um, I don't think I don't think it's accurate or even good uh, theology to, assume, to apply a gender to, to God. Gotcha. Which so that goes and which also means that's a criticism of those who refer to God as a female, because um, usually that's just in response to. But that's a bit of a tangent. Yep. That's okay though. I'm now more informed. Um, okay, where were we? He. How would you know? Oh yeah. Um, I don't. Th- I, I, I'm imagining like water into wine would be the first trick, and I hope like like Jesus would be like, "Yep, call back." Like that better be good wine too. Oh yeah, well, imagine if it was like Franzia, everyone would be so mad. Uh, what we know is, uh, well, at least the, the guy hosting the party said that uh, you know usually they bring usually you start with a good wine for the party and then end with a crappy wine. Yeah. But in the story, he's like, but now, but you've held you've held the good wine to the end. Which, whenever I read that, I'm like, how does he know? Because he's plastered. Like, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe all drunk people say this. Like, oh, man, this wine's so good. You know, it's it's a $3 box, box wine from Winco. Which, by the way, there's some really good box wines from Winco. There are. Don't uh, Um. Yeah, and so... So you, you'd be looking for some type of signs? Uh, yeah, well, it definitely just, like... 
I feel like if for just 24 hours he was just like flying around like Superman and like just doing all sorts of crazy stuff, then it'd be pretty apparent, at least to me, that I was like, okay, either whatever pseudoscientific babble comes out is fairly convincing and I'll go along with it. Or, uh, I mean, this is just ridiculous. There's no other possible explanation than there is a god. All right, so some obviously, like, blatant yeah. superhuman things. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, so I'm going through in my head, um, looking at some of the signs and miracles he, do- he does. He's not flying around. Well, no, he does fly around. There's this thing called the Ascension, where he goes back up into heaven. Um, there's that. Um, Walking on water wouldn't impress me. Really? Yeah, I feel like I feel like that would be one of the few things where someone could could very I don't know I don't want to say very easily, but definitely pass off science somehow. Like I think we've been working towards technology like that for a while. So I think walking on water would be probably the only one that'd be like, yeah, there might be a scientific explanation for that. But the rest of them, like water into wine, come on, like just by touching it, like there's no way I would see that and be he like, you even touch it, you even touch it, you just looked at it. He just he told him to pour the water into the barrel, and when they went to go serve it, it was wine. See, that actually, I, I would see that one as being a yeah. possible parlor trick. I don't believe it is a parlor trick. I can see that one that. as well, though. They just yeah. swapped out the yeah. kegs. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> um, so that would be a, another one that, unless he just did so, it, like we were while we were staring at it. it so just suddenly, one went. for me would be Lazarus. Oh, the resurrection. Three days in a tomb. Mm-hmm. Like one. Uh, let's assume he uh, swooned. Uh-huh. I'm using that word for a reason. He swooned. He passed out. They thought he was dead. They wrapped him in burial cloths. Which, by the way, Jewish burial cloth wasn't like a light thing it's pounds and pounds of spice and yeah tasty uh then they put them in the tomb put the stone over it and so for three plus days he's now in isolation with no food no water Mm -hmm. and if he's not healthy he's dead like even if he was alive when he went in there yeah um in fact uh i'm trying to remember if it was three days he was in the tomb or if it was four you want to just average it out three and a half sure okay um the, Jew- the Jewish day counting method is much more general than ours. Mm. Like we would say, like we would we would think three days as being seventy two hours. Yep. For them, three days could be a night, one day, and a morning. Huh. Okay. Because it's three parts of. Anyway, but I can okay, do that. Regardless, um, um, like that would be. And so when Jesus shows up, they open the tomb, he calls forth Lazarus, and then he tells them, by the way, get the burial cloths off him unless he dies again, which I just find funny. <laughs> uh, like, that that would be, a, I, I'd be, you know, scratching my chin on that one going, hmm, I wonder. Uh, See, I, I don't like that. It's, hey, there's too much suspense. I, I want my answers and I want them now, that way I can go on with converting. Um, <laughs> You're such a Western philosopher, like... <laughs> <laughs> Give it, posit your uh, opinion and your, your facts. Present me with your argument, therefore I can come to my conclusion. Uh-huh. And so, but I would prefer just like, dude is dead as a doorly. A doorly? Dead as a doorknob, just like Marley. And uh, just in front of me, just dead in front of hopefully hundreds of thousands of people, because this would be sort of important. Like, snaps his fingers, dude's like, well, I'm alive again, this is awesome. By the way, heaven was sweet. Like, that's, that's what I would want. I would want things that are just happening in front of my eyes. Then I would think of the cross, then. Uh, public public execution. Uh-huh. Public death, public burial, public resurrection. Yep. Something like that. Okay. By the way, Jesus publicly died. Uh-huh. Publicly buried and publicly resurrected. So, get- so wouldn't that at least uh, satisfy that? Yeah. Although I need to know he didn't have a twin. Mind blown. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> I just, they're, they're a little, little... Okay, things. but even then, even then, could not, like... Uh, oh, so, if he was hanging out with his twin, then that would be good enough. But, so, someone died. Yeah. Uh, and, like, with the Roman society, Pax Romana was such a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Like, in, like, the, the peace of Rome was not uh, the, the warm, fuzzy world peace we talk about today with uh, Miss America. Like... <laughs> You know, it's peace through force. Yeah. Like, they they squash rebellion. They squash as soon as it starts coming. Mm-hmm. So when a group of people claiming this Jewish figure as their king claims that he is their lord and their savior, which are also Roman terminologies for Caesars, 
when they start saying he's resurrected, mm-hmm. uh, and that he, and by the way, he was killed at the hands of Pontius Pilate and buried and guarded by Roman guards, like all that. Mm-hmm. When that happens, wouldn't you not, if you're Pontius Pilate, go open the freaking tomb and drag out his body? Probably, yeah. And like, and in fact, for me, this is one of the biggest arguments about the resurrection is that Christianity was birthed at the exact time of Jesus's death in the exact city of his death. Like that's where it started mm-hmm. and it blew up in a good way, blew up from there. Yeah. Uh, if the resurrection did not happen, I feel like it would have been squashed pretty dang quickly. Um, yeah. Coming back from the dead will change a couple things. And if, and if he didn't come back from the dead, you've got a great piece of evidence called the rotten rotting body yeah. that you could pull out and and this is not out of character for, for Romans mm-hmm. they love making public public spectacles of bodies you know, um, I just wonder why they didn't just like kill another person and wrap them up and then just like be like oh we found his body <laughs> like yeah uh. <laughs> um, who just placed that body uh, who cares who we didn't know going back to what I was saying about public spectacles of bodies yeah I think it was around 6 BC I forget who it was. Solicitous? Might be completely... Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm completely wrong on the name. Uh, but there was a town close to Nazareth where uh, there was a rebellion. And so uh, the current Roman governor of the area came in and crucified 2,000 men and put, put did the crucifixions along a road. Wow. So, like, Yeah. And for days they hung. I know that this is the wrong thing to think about here, but that must have taken so long to set up and take down. They're like really thick crosses. Well, okay. Uh, so, so the uh, the crooks, the the cross. Yeah. Um, which is where we get the word cruci- uh, ex- excruciating oh. out of the cross. It's the, that makes sense. Um, there are several crosses. In fact, uh, we we today assume cross. I, th- I think one reason why we translate a cross is because we assume that there's this crossbar. It's like a T crossbar, something's going to cross. Mm-hmm. But it, it could also be an X. It could also just be a post. Um, okay. In fact, one of the words that was sometimes used in replacement for cross uh, was, uh, in the Greek, the uh, eskalon. It can mean a post. Uh, for those out there that are better Greek students than I um, look that up uh, which is also intriguing it can mean post it can mean a, a, a rod it can just mean a, a pillar and so we, we've found, we have found some Roman uh, crucifixion methods where they do they, they nail your hands above your head and, and so, yeah. so it could have been that okay uh, we assume it was heavy we don't know how much he would have but I feel like it wouldn't be very effective if it wasn't you might as well just like kill the guy and just throw his body on the yeah, side. I just don't. I don't know how heavy it would be. I mean, yeah. it's not going to be light, but I don't know. Mm. Especially, I mean, just think about it, like Jesus. Didn't he have to like carry it? And, like, wasn't that a part of the punishment that it was uh-huh. so heavy and weighing down his body? Yeah, mm. but once again, we don't know. Did, he he could have perhaps just carried the crossbar, not the whole thing. No. Mm-hmm. Um, that could have. I mean, often uh, with the crucifixions, they often constructed it at the spot at the time of. They mm. didn't, I don't. I don't know how many of these they had pre-manufactured, um, <laughs> but um, but it's also not, uh, just that, that's the nature of Rome. Mm-hmm. They make public spectacles either for the good or for the bad. Yeah. Um, and so that yeah, something like that would work. Um, I I still would prefer something more instantaneous and snappy and just ridiculous and mind blowing. Like if he was like flying and using like super laser powers out of his hands, things like that. Mount, mountain of Transfiguration. Yeah, exactly. Just, like he's glowing. Exactly, something like that. And there's two dead people who've been dead for a while that just show up with him, and then a voice from heaven. If by like two dead people that just like show up with him, I want him to be like public figures. Though. I'd want him to be like, like George Moses Washington. And so, so the two public figures were, were Moses and Elijah. Gotcha. Uh, which I always wrestled when I read that story: is how did the how did the disciples know? And I'm assuming Jesus told them later. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> regardless, Jesus went up this hill by himself, and now there's two other people with him. Mm-hmm. Like that's something. Yeah. I, I, yeah, as I mean, long as I was watching him the entire way, because the minute he's no longer in sight, I'm gonna suspect trickery. 
I, I wonder if what you're talking on, like, maybe that gets into the nature of this god as well. Like, he doesn't do the Marvel comic book action scenes to prove himself. It's... I would just... I feel like he would be opening up... Opening up too much suspicion then at that point. Because it's really easy to realize that, like, it's it's faux science if someone is seeing these things in front of them and then just, like, trying to come up with some random scientific explanation for it. But the moment that there's time that can pass, there's out of there's lack of transparency, things like that, then it's very easy to start assembling some sort of idea that may actually be true. So we would need, that's why I feel like full transparency and immediacy would be a lot more effective for conveying that the deity was actually incarnate and back on earth kicking it. So, I, I mean, I, I just feel like it'd be less effective. In many ways, I think there are examples of the immediate, uh, as far as the recordings go, um, like there's immediate historical recordings of actual things happening in a public setting that are that are unexplainable. Uh, a lame man who had been lame for uh, years and years and years publicly healed. Mm-hmm. And he, he was so publicly known for his lameness that when he was healed... Uh, the religious leaders were like, how did this happen? That would do it for me. And, right there. and by the way, it, it happened on the Sabbath, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you can't work on the Sabbath. So when this man's healed on the Sabbath, they, they take issue with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the man who was blind, um, and then uh, Jesus... <laughs> I do think Jesus does do things occasionally just to mess us up. Like he, uh, he spits in the dirt, makes some mud, and rubs it in his eyes. And I think I, I think he's actually doing uh, what the the Jewish rabbis would call a remez. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an Old Testament allusion. So he's he's making like an object lesson when he's when he makes the mud and puts it in his eyes. Yep. Um, but he puts it in his eyes and then he says, "Go down to this pool and wash." Mm-hmm. And then he he's healed. Hmm. Um, like this man had been blind, and people knew he was blind. And with most blindnesses, blindnesses. Yeah, I'll take it. It works. Uh, like, you could see a physical characteristic of the eye, whether it's, like, cataracts or something like that. You, you know they're blind. Mm-hmm. Um, so when this man can now see, and uh, once again, he's being questioned, he says, the only thing I know is I was blind, but now I see, which is where we get that Amazing Grace line in the hymn. Hmm. I like it. He, There was a public thing, yeah. physical thing happened, and that's... Yeah. Yeah, that right there would do it for me. Yeah. Intriguing. So, yeah, just so long as it's apparent. Um, and so, yeah, that would that would be a sufficient. We wouldn't need the... Well, that would just sort of be the grounding premise for the assumption that it was irre- irrevocable proof. You'd be like, why? Is that the case? Well, he did this crazy public apparent thing, so there's no way uh, to look past it now. We're good to go. I still think there's a conversation to be had about the nature of, of this deity. Um... Yeah. Like, does he feel... Like, is he... Should he, in quote marks, is there an obligation that he has to public proofs, to providing his thesis, his uh, his polemic, whatever word you want to use I there. would agree. Uh, he, he should, because otherwise anyone can say, I am your God. And I, and I, and I understand that, too. Like... Um, at the same time, though, I guess I was going more to, uh, is, is there a moral law that this deity is subject to? Which goes back, I think it was Plato who, who first opposed this question. Yeah, is it holy because it's loved by God, or does God love it because it is holy? Yeah, uh, which I think, by the way, I think Christians are the only ones that have a good answer to that. But and that's the question of believing in God then it's the question is null and void uh, <laughs> I saw that look in your eyes like ah, I think I have a good answer to it too <clears throat> but we could wrestle with that some other time uh, I think to wrap up questions about the social implications I'm not even sure how to begin with this one w- without o- overly Christianizing the question like I don't do it make it real godlike <laughs> lather it in the god sauce god sauce <laughs> I'll put that uh, on my burritos. <laughs> uh, should try my hot sauce sometime, by the way. Fair enough. 
It's not God sauce, but close. Pretty dang close. Right. I made in the image of God. It's man sauce. <laughs> uh, well, there, like if God shows up, yeah, in the human narrative, uh-huh. it changes everything. Yep. What does it change? Uh, well, I think the first thing that would happen is there'd be a problem with identity with many people that nations would need to account for. Um, for instance, hmm. the Middle East, uh, very primarily like Muslim. People have dedicated their lives to it. They've got Mecca and all that. And now suddenly the Christian gods here. Uh, now everything they thought was holy and sacred is wrong. Okay, so the... There, there'd be a lot of panic. And, and it's it would be true the other way around, too. Like, if mm-hmm. Allah came incarnate, then... Christians would just be like, ah, oh, we've got these giant cathedrals. We screwed up. Or like you, call, you like to call clubhouses. Yep. They're which, clubhouses. By, which, by the way, we're sitting in one right now. We are in a clubhouse. It's a nice clubhouse. Um... Yeah. Okay. So uh, on the not, on the world scale, mm-hmm. um, the whole religious atmosphere would change. Secondly, okay. What about but uh, what about economy? Uh, churches we get a lot more money influx. <laughs> okay, well, I was I was thinking more of economic models uh, and theories. I don't know at that point. Um, depends Ooh. on how much God cares about economics. So, uh, totally call it. I'm calling it um, audible. Okay. Uh, what about dualism? Right. How would the incarnation affect dualism? Uh, oh, yeah. We'd all have souls. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't even think about souls. It's a ginger characteristic. Yeah. Um, there might not be salvation for you. That's true. Um, okay, so let's think here. Yeah, we all have souls. Kind of going back to uh, human Kant now too. Even yeah. if there, even if there was a gulf or a wall, that was a, that was a, the, the divine, the divine yeah. just crossed it. They, they did. Transparency is great. Um, yeah, I don't really. I mean, we'd all need to get baptized then. <laughs> wash away them sins. Well, and I wasn't going, I, and I wasn't even going there. I was more just saying, like, this idea that there's an upper story and lower story of reality. Like, uh, however oh. you want to define that. Like, there's the natural world and then the uh, unnatural, not natural, extra natural yeah. world. Um, and we, we typically fall into these camps all the time. Um, like, for, like, a material, a. Uh, Materialist? Is that the word I want to use? Sure. I don't feel like that's the correct philosophical term. Are you talking... Naturalist. 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 Yeah. There we but go. There is no quote-unquote upper story. There isn't. No. The, uh, there is no metaphysical reality. There is nothing outside. There, All there is is the box yep. that contains all physical realities, and that's it. There's yep. nothing outside of the box. I'm pretty sure that's what I subscribe to. Okay. So, and th- so what I'm saying is, like, even there you have a... A line. You have a dualistic approach, but you don't. But you do. But you don't. It's a non-dualistic approach. Well, I know, but you're saying they're, you're you're rejecting the upper story. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's just calling that dualism is, is not the right way to go about it. All right. I, all, I guess all I'm trying to say is you're acknowledging by rejecting the upper story. Sure. In the same way, I'm acknowledging the steak that I'm not eating for dinner. Like, yeah, you can call me an idiot. Go ahead. No, no I'm not going to call you an idiot. That was just, I, I see what you were trying to do uh, All I'm saying is you have an answer to the question about the upper story. Yes. How about that? Yes, Does that make fair. sense? That's fair. Okay. Um, for, like, uh, for people, uh, do I want to say Augustine? Sure. What about? Since you've been reading a lot about Augustine, right? Aquinas. Aquinas. Well, like a year ago. Okay, no, never mind then. Well, uh, like Augustine, like he took a lot of the Greek philosophy uh-huh. uh, and kind of implemented it into Christian philosophy. So he took the dualistic nature that Plato and Aristotle and Socrates were all wrestling with, uh-huh. um, like you, like the allegory of the cave, which is highly misunderstood, but regardless, uh-huh. um, that we live in this world of the physical, but there's, there's a higher level of reality um, that Plato called the forms, and that we just live in this shadow thereof, of the higher reality. Mm-hmm. And so in the Greek world, especially the time of Christ, there's a huge debate between how to apply this. 
like the so and the two main groups were the Epicureans and the Stoics. Yes. Uh, which, by the way, when Paul goes to Mars Hill, uh, he's engaging with the Epicureans and the Stoics. You need to. And by the way, when he pulls in the incarnation into the discussion, it changes like it cha- the the it, it erupts the crowd because mm-hmm. now I mean the, he's blowing their worldview apart. I believe it, yeah. Um, because no longer is there a divide between those two stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it is a single unity. The spiritual is physical, and the physical is spiritual. I would be so excited to die. Okay, but see that that goes into that once again that plays right into the dualistic mindset. Uh huh. Because now you're assuming that this life is less good than the next yeah, life. As an atheist, this is all I got. So uh, I'm pretty pretty competitive about making it a good one for myself. But once again, uh, so when you read like Paul's writings, mm-hmm. he applies. You find that he blows this dualistic mind worldview apart by saying, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Yeah. Um, like, even Christians today fall into this dualistic trap where we think uh, what it means to be a Christian is to be spiritual, quote mark, mm-hmm. um, to read your Bible, to pray, to go to church. We don't talk about being a good father or being a good student or changing your daughter's diaper or um, getting good grades or yeah. your physical health. Like, we don't talk about that. But in the narrative of scripture there's this constant theme that runs through it that uh, we are both physical and spiritual beings mm-hmm. we're not one or the other the physical isn't bad or removed from the spiritual uh, it is it is intrinsically entwined in our reality yeah so our physical acts are spiritual acts that's fine but like I'm sure you've read revelations heaven seems like a pretty sweet place to hang out uh, Revelation, by the way. Uh, yeah. But two, but that goes into your Good interpretation. Yeah. Anyway, that goes into your your interpretive view of Revelation as well, which I do not want to touch with a ten foot rod. But there's mm-hmm. multiple views. Yeah. Is heaven? Is the and that's a very that's a popular literature. Is that uh, mo- mostly symbols? Yeah. Symbols of something true. But still symbols. Yeah. So uh, a city descending from the clouds, is that literal? Or is that meant to be more of an analogy for heaven coming to earth? Which, by the way, there's that gap between the spiritual and physical being blown away. Gotcha. So So actually, Revelation could be a support to everything I just said. Could be. Um, anyway. Well, I keep going. So at that point, what happens when we die after after the incarnation? If we're hanging out with Christian God. Okay, so uh, this is. I like that you're turning the questions on me now because I felt like I was just drilling with you question, with questions. You were well. I just I ask questions when I need knowledge. All right, so so up until this point, you haven't needed to know anything, but I did. <laughs> so I went. Uh, all right, so. Uh, the, the entire narrative of scripture is about God's redemptive story of mankind. Yes. Uh, so, and, and there are the realities of death, pain, and suffering. Mm-hmm. What I both love and find frustrating about scripture is that there are, there are some answers, but not, mm, at the same time, there's not. Like, a great example would be Job. Uh, the book of Job. He loses his family. He he has awful physical suffering. He loses all of his possessions, and he's wrestling with the question why. And his friends show up. They try to offer answers. Uh, none of the answers are right, and so he just starts asking questions. God shows up. Does God answer his question? Yeah, I haven't read that in forever. <laughs> well, you should know. He doesn't. Instead, he basically. Uh, like one of my favorite lines, which you may not like as an atheist armchair philosopher, one of my favorite lines is when uh, when God says, "You've you've been asking me questions. Now I will ask you questions. Uh-huh. Stand as a man before my questions." Uh-huh. Like uh, this presumption, this presumption we have that we can question um, the creator of the universe, and basically it ends. There's this constant call through two and a half chapters mm-hmm. that. Are we going to trust in the sovereignty of God, or are we, or are we can presume that we must have all the answers to all the things that happen at all times? So, anyway, so the Bible is a story of God's redemptive 
God's God's redemption of mankind, and and it wrestles with things like pain and suffering, and it doesn't always give the answers, which I actually find to be more to provide more validity to the narrative rather than actually. Like, if the Bible was only written to answer all of mankind's questions, you could easily say that this was just a creative work. Like, someone someone out there was just trying to answer all the questions humanity's ever wrestled with. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, this is a very real story that has, has its own ambiguities, has its own wrestling matches, has its own struggles. And it exists in the, re- in the, the reality of the... Uh, What's the word? Uh, existentialism? Sure. Of humanity, like the actual existence that we find ourselves in, the presence. Yeah. The uh, So, what was your question to begin with? <laughs> what happens after we die? Oh, okay. Uh, so, there, there is the, re- the question of sin, and now that sin has entered the world, should man continue living on forever? If man continues living on forever, is that the most loving thing to do? Because then they will always live in a state of suffering. Um... So instead, uh, this is where my conditionalism comes in. Uh, he removes the possibility of eternal life temporarily. So that way he could deal with the, with the redemption of mankind and thus restore the condition of eternal life. So anyone that dies while Jesus is on earth is just done for good? No. Because eternal life is now gone. It's off the table. No. Okay. Uh Eternal life means eternal. Like you could, whatever you want to call it, storage, like a temporary storage of souls. Mm-hmm. Um, or possibly, like if, if you're talking about a God who can manifest physical reality with a spoken word, yeah. then then he could easily re-manifest uh, a being that has ceased to exist okay. and completely restore them. Which gets into another, another set of philosophical questions about, about identity and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, so when we die, um, we know that Paul says to to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, we you could look at one of Jesus' parables, uh, which doesn't deal with end times, like like heaven and hell end time stuff. It deals with present reality. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, there's this place called Abraham's bosom, uh, which is just a Jewish catchphrase. Huh. Huh? It just sounds funny. Abraham's bosom. It's his chest. Right here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cuddly mm-hmm. and warm. Cuddly. It's really hairy. Kind of gross, and there's probably bits of food stuck in it. Maybe. Maybe it was hair, this guy. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the, there's a place that uh, that souls go. They're stored. They're okay. whatever that might be. Um, and and the, for me, I always wrestle. Is this just, once again, is an analogy? Because um, like you see some other languages, like the, like the re- references to those who are dead as being those who are asleep. Hmm. Like, uh, it, so does it go back to the idea that when we die, we cease to exist momentarily, and then God man- re-manifests us later? Uh, or is it that we temporarily, our souls are in some other metaphysical location uh, to which later on we are rejoined with our physical body mm-hmm. and those who are quote-unquote saved are then re- reunited in a new heavens and a new earth creation where the problem of the entropy that was introduced in Genesis 3 mm-hmm. has now been resolved so therefore there is now a new created order in which we now exist um, you know what would be great is if the incarnated God was just like, yo, this is what happens. Right? Um, yeah, I would love that. I would I, I would love if God had a systematic theology book out there. Oh, well, he does have one. It's called the Bible. Yeah, but after, well, yeah, but there's still, there's still questions, which, as you were talking about, is good. But once God is incarnated, if he just, just did away with the ambiguity, and when he was asked questions, he's like, oh, yeah, this is what happens. I really, I, if he's already down here. We've grown to accept it. Be sort of superfluous to me if you just kept being ambiguous. See, I think there's some limitations to that, though. Why? How about you try to explain language theory to an ant? Okay, I can see your your limitations. It's it's not a great analogy, I I give you that. Yeah. uh, So, like, we want God to show up and explain the theory of everything when it comes to physics. Uh-huh. Like, there's a great chance that we could not even begin to comprehend it. Um, That's true. Like, 
Okay, if that's the case, then I feel I like... Guess, I guess the question is, how long would it take? Yeah. To, like, do we want to spend 2,000 years? Well, I guess in heaven. Well, and never mind. I don't want to get into the nature of heaven. Mm-hmm. We often, Christians often view heaven, and by the way, the world often views heaven as a spiritual, fuzzy place with clouds. Yep. Where we're in this constant worship session. Always singing songs. I don't. I don't think that's the the thing we see in scripture. It's mm-hmm. a new heaven and a new earth, and heaven and earth are united. Like, it's going to be a lot like the world we have now, but without the crappiness. Yeah, without sin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Without the without the chaos and disorder. Gotcha. And everything that stems from that. Okay. What else is there to think about here? I don't know, but I think we could wrap it up. Okay. Well, it's that. We're done. Well, uh, hey, thanks for listening. Yeah. If anyone is, uh, if you like this, feel free to share it. Give us a rating only if you like it. Only if you like it. Um, actually, I really don't care. If we had if we had a hundred one star reviews, that means there are a hundred people that listen to it. So go for it. And uh, until next time. Keep the discussion going. I don't have a good tagline yet. We'll work on it. Well, that wraps that conversation up. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Maybe pulled some nuggets out. Maybe learned some things. Uh, hopefully you found something to disagree with us on. We would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to validambiguity.com to the contact page and shoot us a message. You can tweet me on Twitter at drd. Sorry, D-R-E-D-Z-S at Twitter. That's dreads. And let me know what you thought. If you have any ideas or any episode ideas, let me know. We would love to hear those from you. If you want to support us and support the work that I'm doing with Valid Ambiguity, you can find me on Patreon.com. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash D-R-E-D-Z-S. D-R-E-D-Z-S. And you can support us and support the work that we're doing here, just uh, uh, both between... The hosting, the programs, the uh, equipment that we would love to eventually upgrade into, things like that. Uh, We would love uh, for you guys to support the work that I'm doing. And with that said, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Until next week, keep the conversation going.